Welcome to Your Truth Revealed, a video podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own health expert. You're listening to episode 15, Know Your Mental Health. This is the first part of an interview with Roger Walk. He's a teacher with NAMI, one of the largest grassroots organizations for mental health in the U.S. He is also my dad. We explain what mental health is and how to manage it in times of stress. Roger Walk has been a NAMI volunteer since 2014. He teaches a free 10-week course for families, partners, and friends of individuals living with mental illness. It's called Family to Family. He is a retired technology director with a master's degree in history. Mommy believes that one in five people either have a mental health condition that is treatable or are in a family who are directly involved. Listen as we dive into mental health and practical ways to manage it for you and your loved ones. The primary reason that I want to have this interview with you today is to help change the conversation about mental health conditions and help to remove the stigma that's around it. NAMI is an education program with specific beliefs, and there are six primary principles that I would like to share with our audience. And I know that the first principle is to trust your own instincts, which is you are the expert. Please explain being your own expert. The desire there or the need there is for you to believe that you can find out what you need to know to uh, help with your loved one's uh, mental health situation. What the general principle outlines is that no one can know what you need and no one can know what your family needs or your loved one needs. You are the expert. You've had the experience. You've engaged with them. You've seen the behaviors and experienced it firsthand. It's the starting point for learning what you need to learn to continue to help. Right. The second principle, you don't need to know everything. Well, it's impossible to know everything. That's right. Um, the, there is no one that you will encounter uh, in the health system that knows everything that you know about yourself or your family or your loved one. We are naturally involved in our own worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we experience and that's what we truly know. So you will have to do a lot of work and you will never know all you need to know Mm -hmm. about every situation. So it begins a process or requires a process of lifelong learning to deal with what you're going to be dealing with. And with the clients that I talk with, I think they oftentimes think they should have known something before (laughs) they know it. And I keep telling them that that's not possible. That if you really look at mental health or anything in life, it's a journey. And so it's a, it's about understanding yourself as best you can and taking as good care of yourself as you can. And however that unfolds is how it unfolds. There's right. no one right way. Right. Uh, you know, if, you know I, I sometimes use the example is that I spent my career in information technology. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and maybe I should have studied computer science, but when I was an undergraduate student, there was no computer science. Mm-hmm. They were, uh, computers were used for engineering and business applications. And if you learned about them, you did it in your business school or your engineering school mm-hmm. or your science department. Right. But there was no separate computer science thing. So knowledge accumulates over time. Right. And you accumulate knowledge over time. Right. So learning what you need to learn is only done when it's necessary. And the necessity of understanding mental health will will take you to the place you need to be and uh, learning what you need to learn. And it's not only that individual learning, but it's also the, the technology and the neuroscience is getting so much better. So as the individual is learning more about their own mental health, society at large is also growing in its understanding and knowledge at the same time. Well, Just like like the, the metaphor of using technology and understanding that. Right. And a lot of what we understand now, and we'll probably get into that further in this discussion, about mental health, much of that's only been discovered in the last 23 years. And even the last years. five years, there's been huge yeah, leaps and bounds. and. Yeah, neuroscience and actually looking at the brain and even being able to see what disorders are there right, and right. being able to physically see it. Right. Yes. Yeah. Another principle is you can't know what no one has told you. Mm-hmm. My personal experience with NAMI was that it was the first place I ever found all of the information I need consolidated in one place. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to read on my own and study on my own and and really came from a standpoint that I, I believed it was a biological problem, but there were a whole bunch of psychological and social aspects of it that I did not understand. And you can't know that. I, I tell people when I teach my class that if I had, if I had known 15 or 20 years ago what I know today, the experience would have been entirely different. I don't know that any outcomes would have changed because I was dealing in an environment where I had family members who had uh, some form of mental illness. Which uh, is not that uncommon. No, it's not. When you say that, it might sound staggering. However, most families have mental illness right. and it's much more common than anybody really understands mm-hmm. or that they talk about. Right. And that's one of the reasons we're having this interview now is to help people understand that it's, it is much more common than we right. think. It is. Yes. The mommies uh, believes that that uh, one in five people either have a mental health condition that is treatable mm-hmm. or are in a family who are directly involved. And one of the things about this is that if there is a person in the family with a severe mental illness, everybody experiences that illness. That's because right. Because it manifests itself in behaviors that affect everyone in that family. And we're not just talking about families either. Could be groups of friends yeah. or any kind of, or even coworkers. Yes. Perhaps it's your boss, perhaps it's you. It does affect everyone. And I think the more that we understand it, the happier that individuals can be, and hopefully mm-hmm. the happier communities and societies can be because we can actually treat a problem. But if you're avoiding the problem or believing that it's not actually there, the chance of getting better is minimal. Yes. That's true. One thing that that you mentioned about having all this consolidated information at NAMI, 
my experience in just taking the four hour course was that in some ways I felt like it was more concise than what I had learned in graduate school in psychology. And that was about a decade ago. And I don't know if, if that's because NAMI's just doing such a great job of consolidating the information or if there's more information out there or a combination of both. But it's, it's probably both. Yeah. Uh, the organization, you know, has education committees and people are constantly working mm-hmm. to update materials because there are significant breakthroughs in both pharmacology and understanding neurological conditions and in treatments right. uh, that, that come together. And so uh, it's fascinating to me how many healthcare professionals – who also have family members that have a mental a health condition mm-hmm. are part of NAMI. And these ah. are people, you know, doctors and Good. therapists and things like that. Us non-professionals, if you want to call us that, uh, we people who don't um, work in mental health or in, in any kind of healthcare field are recipients of knowledge that we would never get otherwise because it's, sometimes it's hard. We struggle to talk to psychiatrists and MDs and be taken seriously by them because we don't have the educational background. And we underreport. And we underreport. There is a, you know, I I tell people in the class, I said, the only world you really know is the one you directly experience. Mm -hmm. And that is not anyone else's experience. It's not you. It's not the other person. Even if you're in the same family, you are experiencing a world differently from your other family members. Until you learn how to communicate that, communicate the feelings that result from that, you're going to be in isolation. And that's the worst place we can be as humans. So communicating the feelings, the thoughts, the the, physical sensations of what's happening, Mm -hmm. being able to report all of that. And hopefully, you know, what I'd like to see is creating an environment where there's no shame around that. It just is what it is. It's a a form of acceptance that whatever that individual is experiencing is what they're experiencing. Right. Well, we all fear exposing too much that someone might hurt us because if we've lived in situations where people did that, you become much more reluctant to share your feeling. I can understand why people are that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was that way myself, Mm -hmm. very quiet and isolated person for most of my life mm-hmm. uh, from that sense. But it's, uh, it doesn't make you feel better. No, no, <laughs> not at all. And I think all of this is about feeling better, it feeling is. as good as you possibly can, yeah. because there's so much out there that can help you feel better. Mm-hmm. Another principle that NAMI believes in is that mental health conditioner is no one's fault. Uh, this, this is absolutely true, and it's a big part of the stigma surrounding mental health. Um, parents are often blamed for their childhood ch- child's mental illness or their behavior when, in fact, the only thing you gave your child was the genes. You're pointing to a genetic factor. Yes. There may be an environmental factor growing up that there triggers will. those genes to... Oh, yeah to be activated but the fact is it's a physical tangible illness yeah physical biological illness biological illness that's frankly in a sense it's a physiological problem that is very similar to diabetes Mm -hmm. yeah something you're going to live with the rest of your life right okay something that you have to treat on a regular basis Something that you have to uh, decide 
that is medications mm-hmm. that you're going to have to take for the rest of your life. But there are lots of diabetic people who live healthy and uh, joyful lives. So there's no reason why there can't be lots of, of people who have a mental health condition that can't lead happy and joyful lives. You can't do it by yourself. And I think there's one universal underlying theme of all this is that nothing is going to happen if you try to do it by yourself. It's very frustrating and painful. Uh, but even our what we refer to as our heroes who supposedly are doing all this by themselves, had families and friends and a whole cast of characters who were in support of them. Another principle is mental health conditions share universal characteristics. They do. Part of the challenge in in mental health, especially if you're dealing with your loved one, is that you get a diagnosis at some point in time. Mm -hmm. And... The diagnosis is interesting and important because it will lead you in the direction of what types of medications and what types of therapies or counseling that you might get to help you. But the diagnosis can also be a trap. Uh I hadn't thought about that. It can be uh, self-labeling or labeling by others is that you've got this condition and I don't see you as anything but... A person with a di- that diagnosis, be it anxiety or major depressive disorder or bipolar disorder. So the languaging around that is really important. Is the, the diagnosis is useful within the, the mental health field. And beyond that, maybe to describe the behaviors that have been clumped under that diagnosis mm-hmm. to other people. But anxiety exists as a problem through every diagnosis that exists ah, there are behavioral issues that occur right. in uh, across the whole spectrum of diagnoses that are out there sometimes you're treating the anxiety really their diagnosis may be the major depressive disorder right. but it could be bipolar disorder instead of saying you are bipolar yeah. it's saying you have bipolar disorder the language is powerful it is That's a big differentiating label. The person has the illness. You are not the diagnosis. There you go. Uh, We don't tell people they are cancer or we don't tell people they are diabetes. They have it. It's a condition that has behavioral consequences. Mm -hmm. And so you can treat those behaviors, but you can't treat a label. And the label is part of the stigma. At some point in time with your loved ones, you have to give up the diagnoses. There is a manual that Mm -hmm. doctors use, the giant thing. In there, you will see the behaviors associated with the diagnosis. Right. And it's the behaviors that we're, we're trying to address or should be. And not just the diagnosis, though. Again, it's helpful because it tells us some things about what those behaviors are. Because someone can have the same diagnosis and have different symptoms. Yes. Because it's so individual. Yes. There's a a complete uniqueness about the experiences that they have. Again, it's a grouping, the taxonomy Mm -hmm. that we use for labeling a set of behaviors. But you've got to dissociate that from the person. It's helpful to have the diagnosis and at the same time, don't be too attached to it. Right. Okay. Well, the diagnosis is critical for getting treatment, but it's not critical for living your life. Here we are with the, the final principle 
of NAMI and it says mental health conditions are biological. I believe it's extremely important to understand the biology of mental illness. And I think that's really one of the biggest areas of growth for us as a society is to understand the biological component. Can you share a little bit more about that? Well, humans actually are integrated. We wouldn't function otherwise. That means what happens in our feet and is recognized in our brain is important to how we behave and react. Anyone who's dealt with chronic pain Mm -hmm. knows that the way they feel and their reaction to the world is much different from when they did not have that chronic pain. Absolutely. Chronic pain can lead to depression, anxiety, when you have that constant irritant. You can't really disconnect any part of the biology from the other. The body operates primarily through either electrical or chemical signals. Muscles twitch in your foot and the brain reacts to them through a series of electrical and chemical messages mm-hmm. that are that are managed either through the, the the neural system the nerves or through the circulatory system where the hormones are passed through the body but a lot of the activity that we experience comes from other parts of the body within the brain itself there are things called neurotransmitters that are different from hormones in a sense in that they are generated some in the nucleus and they are used as an electrical way of communicating between the neuron cells. When those get disrupted or there's too much or too little. The, the imbalance, even, the imbalances, even the ratio within them. Yes. Behavioral things happen. Absolutely. Feelings are, are stimulated and... You have thoughts and reactions to those, and sometimes you just get foggy, and things aren't the same as they were before. These are subtle things that really have to be in tune Mm -hmm. and well-adjusted for all of us to function day to day. And that's where I believe that self-awareness is so crucial. It's understanding what our norm, what our baseline is, and if that begins to change. observing yourself and this is where you know my mindfulness practice really comes in which is what i use with my clients but being able to be objective about yourself objective about your emotions your thoughts your behavior and being able to monitor it in a way to notice if there's any kind of maybe accumulative changes over time too that maybe you know you're drifting off balance yeah well, it's, it's self-awareness. Mm-hmm. It's a self-awareness from a biological sense and trying to figure out what the causal relationships are. If we have a chemical imbalance in our body, it can affect these neurotransmitters that are so crucial for our behavior and our feelings. And when they break down, then you can have some pretty serious problems. Now, the, the challenge with a neurotransmitter, and one of the key ones is serotonin. And i actually like to back up a little yeah. bit there and yeah. kind of introduce this to, to listeners that, that really scientists are learning a lot about neurotransmitters, mm-hmm. and there are now ways to even test your levels, yes. which we didn't have before. And there are the big four. Mm-hmm. We've got dopamine, GABA, norepinephrine, and serotonin. Can you explain how these four big neurotransmitters affect mental health. 
They exist in the body for specific functions. They do specific things. We're going to generalize about what they do. Dopamine is our focus or joy related transmitter. So if you can concentrate well and ignore distractions and just be calm and pleasant and joyful, your, your dopamine levels are probably at an appropriate level. Okay. GABA is considered an inhibitory neurotransmitter, Ah. and it is something that keeps you calm, keeps you from having too much anxiety, is a a very simplified version of that. Is it actually inhibiting something, or is that just the name? It's either an excitatory neurotransmitter or an inhibitory. Gotcha. Okay? Something that raises the levels of how you feel if you get excited that's probably norepinephrine, which is the next one working. And a balance of norepinephrine and dopamine keeps you in the place you want to be, in the happy place, whatever that is for you. So the okay. norepinephrine is, is a stimulant. It converts adrenaline. So they both work together to raise your level of excitement. Adrenaline's important, especially if you're in a situation where you need to fight or right. whatever. But exceeding those levels all the time leads to anxiety. When you've got too much adrenaline and it becomes toxic over time. Serotonin is another inhibitory neurotransmitter. It's often referred to the master that plays a role in sleep cycle, depression, anxiety. It is a communications between your gut and your brain. You actually have more serotonin in your gut than in your brain. That's true. It's called the, the second brain. Medications that affect serotonin mm-hmm. may have a side effect that it, it, your gastrointestinal system may get messed up because it's not restricted to serotonin in the brain. It's affecting serotonin right. throughout the body. And I think it's important for people to know if you're taking an SSRI or SNRI that sometimes the effect can be that you have those digestive issues, but those side effects can also go away over time. Yes. It does take a while for the body to adapt to the levels of serotonin being changed in the body. This is true. I always tell the doctors that I deal with in my own personal case that no medication that I've ever taken was ever tested on me. Ah. (laughs) Don't know. You don't know. You don't know what effect it's going to have. Right, until you do it. Actually, we need to let it work for a while. Perhaps a few weeks or months before we know. Even as, as much as six weeks to be able to see if the side effects go away or right. if it's really having an impact right. in the way that you want it to. Right. Looking to decrease stress? Our featured product and an effective supplement is Enhanced Stress Relief by Life Extension. It's a dual action supplement that combines lemon balm and L-theanine. Lemon balm is scientifically proven to help promote relaxation and sleep. L-theanine is an amino acid found in green tea that is a relaxant and helps to inhibit stress. Go to your truthreveal.com store and use promo code TRUTH for a 20% discount. Welcome to the bonus segment of my video podcast, Your Truth Revealed. This is where I answer your questions. Several of you have asked, how can I increase my mental and physical health during this stressful time? 
Having an empowered mindset during this time of the coronavirus is essential. It can protect you psychologically and physically. This is an unprecedented time and we all have questions. Mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being, which can affect how we think, feel, and behave. And it also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make decisions. The key right now is how you handle stress. Your mindset can actually determine how safe you are right now. You have what's called locus of control. It's the degree to which you believe that you, as opposed to external forces, have control over the outcome of events in your life. If you have a strong internal locus of control, you believe that your actions affect the outcome. For example, you have the ability to maintain social distancing. You can wash your hands frequently. You can avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth and you can sneeze or cough like a vampire into your elbow. Knowing you have control over your behavior increases mental health. Looking at the physical side of things, excessive stress can be detrimental to your immune system. It decreases your ability to fight off viruses and makes you susceptible to infections. But remember, you are empowered. You can make sure to get plenty of rest. You can go outside in the sun and exercise, and you can laugh as much as possible. Author Norman Cousin says laughter is inner jogging. I also recommend that you eat plenty of healthy foods, including broccoli, kale, and Brussels sprouts. Greens like these provide folate, which helps the production of immune cells. Be aware of your health and behave in ways that benefit you and those around you. Just know that we're all in this together. And remember to look out for your neighbors, friends, and your community. I am now offering a free consultation for therapy sessions online. If you would like to schedule a time with me, simply go to my website, yourtruthrevealed.com slash sessions. Please subscribe and add a rating and review at Your Truth Revealed on Apple iTunes. There are also great resources in the show notes. Make sure you tune in to episode 16 with NAMI teacher Roger Walk as we continue this conversation. Nearly everyone experiences some form of anxiety. Actually, it is a good thing when it prevents you from driving badly or stepping out into traffic or doing things that are self-destructive. What's the problem is that when feelings of intense fear and distress become overwhelming. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.